Welcome back to Dose of Support, a podcast where healthcare professionals share their stories and find community. Let's learn from each other and utilize some self-care in healthcare. I'm Dr. Vanessa Casper, a nurse practitioner, and I'm here to help our guests have a platform to share. Remember, I'm not your healthcare provider and neither are my guests, but we do encourage you to seek out care from your own professional. This podcast is not affiliated with any employer. And let's also remember to protect privacy and abide by HIPAA. It's hard out there. So let's find some self-care in healthcare. Stay tuned. team huddle up for a quick check-in this week. COVID is running wild in the United States. I know that I have some international listeners listening right now, and I'm sure you're like, yeah, you guys are like on fire. And you would be right. I think that this is placing so much extra stress on all of our healthcare workers, and I am here for you guys. I want you to know that you do have some control. A lot of us feel out of control and there is a lot of a lot of things about this virus that we can't control, right? But you can control that that you can wear a mask and socially distance as much as possible and wash your hands and do all the things to keep yourself safe and your family safe. You can educate the people around you and you do have some power and I just want you to feel that, feel that power, feel that you have some kind of control in a really scary situation. And on that note, Lindsay's going to talk to us today about our relationship with food. And as we approach Thanksgiving and we want to gather with our family, but we really shouldn't be doing that if they're not within our inner circle. But we usually have a large meal with this holiday in the States. And, you know, this year we may or may not be doing that, but it it also is a very timely thing for us to examine our relationship with food. And Lindsay does all the self-care things, you guys. So I can't wait to share this episode with you. Stay tuned and stay safe. Welcome back to Dose of Support. A lot of us work in healthcare. A lot of you listening work in healthcare. And even for us, the healthcare system can be confusing and even invalidating. Today, Lindsay Madura is going to tell us kind of her experience with that. And she decided to pursue work as a registered dietitian. She approaches her work with sustainability in mind and maybe uses her training as a yoga instructor. Welcome, Lindsay. Tell us more. Hi, yeah, glad to be here. Thanks for having me. I definitely use my training as a yoga instructor as a great foundation (laughs) in my practice actually now. Who knew? So as a registered dietitian, you have an undergraduate degree in nutrition or some type of nutrition science, correct? All dietitians have to get the specific training with their bachelor's degree with the clinical dietetic emphasis, um, and then get placed into an internship program that is a minimum of 1,200 hours um, before sitting for their board exam. Now, it is changing in 2024 that a master's degree um, will be required on top of those things. What I Because 
Allison in episode one also did some similar work. I'm wondering, do you know where, like, is, is your job the outlier? Is, is your job like a rare one? Yes, it is. Um, a more niche outlier to work with an eating disorder population. A lot of very specific training that goes along with that. Um, and so when it comes to the rest of the dietitian field, I would say, and obviously I can't break down, like you said, with specific numbers, but a large part is going to be in the clinical piece is going to be in hospitals. So kind of any emergent medical need from a nutrition standpoint anyways. Um, And then outside of that, I think that there is quite a bit of professionals work in um, food service. So that might be Mm -hmm. um, like within developing. Like I was thinking like school districts. Yeah, for school districts. That's a a huge piece there. And then long-term care facilities, also the the food service piece there. There's, There's quite quite a bit of variety which is part was part of my draw to yeah. the field was there's like so so much to do with it um i would say working in dialysis clinics is another um oh really yeah yeah so working with like kidney failure um different levels of ckd people listening might have all sorts of their own um experiences that they've had with with registered dietitians and so that's why i thought i would ask that so what is your favorite part of your job? I can get excited about a lot of things in my job, but I think, <laughs> which no, that's why I'm in the right field. I, I, I'm very excited about it um, on a regular basis. But I think um, any time that I can bring relief or reduce suffering in an individual and create more freedom in their lives, um, that is like the most exciting thing to me is being able to empower them to have more space in their lives to do more of what they really value. I can hear you smiling. I am Um, smiling. Yep. (laughs) What is the hardest part, the most challenging part of being a dietitian? I would say one of the most challenging parts would be somebody coming in who is really hurting, really confused and really wanting their life not to be the way that it currently is, and really having a struggle with motivation. I have all these tools in my tool belt that I can really support a client from a variety of different approaches. Um, But if they do not feel that within themselves that they are ready, I mean, it can be a long time of being stuck and watching them struggle. I actually think that could, a lot of people can relate to what you just said, even if we're not even speaking of patients in particular, but everyone, I mean, we all have our own motivators, right? And we all have things that stop us from getting things done. Totally. And, um, you know, a lot of our listeners are in healthcare, some are not, but a lot of, a lot of people listening might be like, I have totally seen patients fail. And it's, heartbreaking and you see them struggle and you know that if they would just do the thing, you know, or walk the walk or, you know what I mean? I, I, I can totally relate to that. And so I'm sure people are listening and, and nodding their head like, yes, (laughs) I've totally seen that. Um, 
do you feel like people understand what a registered dietitian does every day? Um, I, I think that it's um, a misunderstood um, field largely because there are so many like quote unquote um, health coaches quote-unquote nutritionists out there. There's so many different varieties of people proclaiming um, that that is their knowledge base. And it mm-hmm. get, it kind of muddies the water in terms of like people understanding what's the difference between those things and and what you're saying you can, you can do with, with food and nutrition. Um, yeah. There tends to be a little bit of confusion about, you know, what level of training goes into us being considered nutrition experts. Yeah. I, the, the health coach, the certified health coach crap really bothers me. (laughs) (laughs) I, I mean, if you're on Instagram, that's, you know, you could, you see all these people that are like, use this supplement or, you know, I can help you find your motivation or no, like that's like a little certification you can do with a two week class. Right. No. Like go to an expert, um, right? So I can totally see how that could be misconstrued as like, oh, that's what you do, but that's not what you do, <laughs> right? Right. And I think one of the um, one of the traps in all of that is that oftentimes with that quick level of training, um, they might be offering like a a quick fix up to your life or something, a quick turnaround yeah. or something. When as dietitians, we know ethically that that's not, that's not the best way to approach your relationship to food. And so um, and from a marketing standpoint, I can see how it really benefits them as we are like yeah. playing the long game here as dietitians. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think patients are always looking for something that's going to make them feel better, you know, like totally. so it's not, it, it just feels dirty to me. I don't like it. <laughs> okay. Well, now that we got to know Lindsay a little bit, we are going to take a short break. And when we come back, she's going to tell us a story from practice and share some self-care. So stay tuned. We're back with registered dietitian, Lindsay Madura, who is here to share a story from practice and maybe a little bit of yoga fun. So take it away, Lindsay. One case that just came to mind, somebody obviously that was in recovery from eating disorder, just had her gallbladder removed, was using um, a lot of binging and purging symptoms as well as restricting. So kind of that binge purge restrict cycle that can come up. I was newly diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. So really came in in a really broken place physically, but also like mentally um, really yeah. worn down by by what the, these symptoms had perpetuated in her life, in her body. And it was really hard for her to trust the process um, because uh, largely, largely it was that experience of wanting the distress to go away instantly, which we know isn't the process of healing. A lot of it was kind of coming back to similar concepts of challenging some of the cultural norms um, that come up in what we call diet culture or these these things that are really rampant in the media around weight loss and um, body size. Okay, so we have to like 
pause your story because, oh my God. So are we talking like intermittent fasting and keto and like all of these things? So, so in your expert registered dietitian opinion, so no foods are bad, right? Like everything in moderation and everything, like you just have to have a healthy approach to it. Anyway, I, I guess what I'm asking is like, what is the bad thing? I would say the bad thing is the most harmful thing is something that is depriving you on a regular basis. So whether that's depriving you from a physiological perspective or from an emotional perspective, from like a mental health perspective, um, that is when we get into some dangerous territory. So obviously there's a lot, like you said, a lot of different dietary approaches out there. Um, We could probably have a whole other podcast episode getting into some of that but like what is going to be the most sustainable for your lifestyle um and we know that a lot of these like like you said keto intermittent fasting they aren't sustainable for the majority of population and honestly not appropriate for a lot of the population we know that the Mm -hmm. keto diet was um has been clinically effective for people who have epilepsy and not really meant for anyone outside of that spectrum of that nuanced nutrition need. Um, Wow. Okay. I literally didn't even know that data. Like, so it's clinically proven to like reduce seizures or what, what is the, okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. So the keto, the keto diet um, that, and that's where it originated was um, for help for people with seizures. So they have overactivity in their, Um, neuropathways in their brain, essentially, since carbohydrates are the main source of and the preferred source of energy for brains, um, we know also that people who have epilepsy and seizures tend to have hyperactivity in those areas. So when we starve the brain of carbohydrates, which is what anyone with a keto diet will will be doing, those hyperactive uh, neurons then start to quiet down and seizures can actually decrease significantly. Um, now wow. for somebody with a normal brain, and by normal brain I mean normal activity in their in their neurons, they don't need that down regulation. In fact, it, it is it is a semi-starved state. Um, and so it, while it can, it's very restrictive and, and really hard to maintain long term, it might be clinically appropriate for somebody to get, gain quality of their life if they are having, you know, seizures interrupting their normal life on a regular basis. So wow. we, we kind of look at the cost benefit with that of like, is it worth having this highly restrictive diet? Because that's what it is. Um, so that I can you know, navigate my life more freely from seizures versus, you know, just a diet for weight loss. So yeah, tangent okay, about and like, no, 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 about this, that's keto, why but... I asked. <laughs> but like, but like the diet culture and the like weight loss and you have to be a certain size and only a certain size is healthy, et cetera, et cetera. I'm just guessing that you are also a screw the BMI kind of person. Yeah. Yeah, I am. (laughs) You got me. That's an easy answer. So you heard it here, folks. You can just throw your BMI out the window. So who, for anyone listening, um, how can they make good choices in the foods that they eat? I think what it, you know, what it kind of taps down into, and there's a variety of approaches, of approaches, depending on 
where you're at in your relationship with food. So, oh boy, <laughs> that's a whole, yeah, that's a whole other thing as well. But if you feel like you have a pretty healthy, normal relationship with food, it's building on that interceptive awareness of getting used to feeling your body and honoring its hunger and fullness cues, noticing what types of food that are being craved, um, eating to satisfaction, and then of course getting a variety of different foods um, from a variety of different sources. So making sure you're getting plenty of plants, you know, getting protein, you know, they say making half of your grains whole, um, things like that, those gentle nutrition approaches. Okay. So nothing like entirely prescriptive. Correct. Yeah. Um, For the general population. <laughs> yeah, correct. And, and, you know, it, everybody has different foods that, you know, their body really likes and their body might not like some foods. And so it also is like, how do I feel after I had that food? Am I having any gastrointestinal mm -hmm. upset? Um, stuff like that. So really developing that healthy relationship with food, it kind of starts with connecting your mind and your body instead of going totally to external sources for what's the best thing for me. Awesome. So let's get back to your client. So you're working with her and it was really hard at first because she was, it sounds like she was medically going through a lot. She, she like, was, yeah. I mean, diabetes, new diabetes. Oh my God. Like, no, um, that alone would be hard. So what happened next? Over, over time, um, we were able to really challenge some of those philosophies she had around food, um, which a lot of times came back to the feeling that her body was wrong. Um, and this is a African-American woman. So you can think about what diet culture perpetuates. It's often like a thin white body. Um, and so a lot of it was, you know, as well help with her therapy team of really processing out some of this, her body not being okay and embracing the uniqueness of her body and trusting her body to know what it needs, know how to, that it knows how to take care of her. Um, and also really mm -hmm. navigating that during the time with all of the upheaval with George Floyd, everything. And it was very, very triggering for her of not feeling safe in her body. And so as a, as a white bodied provider, it was very challenging to help this client, um, not only with their eating disorder, but some of the trauma responses they were having about being in a black body in this current time that we are facing. And so it was really, you know, taken a bit out of my element for trying to graciously step into that very vulnerable space of naming, you know, the, the privilege that I had, as well as the um, disadvantages that she was born into just inherently by being in a larger black body. And with a lot of effort, you know, a lot of resourcing, her immune system got a lot stronger. She stopped getting sick as often. She actually was able to taper down off of metformin and um, reverse her type 2 diagnosis, which was incredible. Oh my yeah. God. <laughs> it's really, really incredible. She had really struggled with a lot of, um, you know, weighing herself and, and using that measure, that number on the scale to measure her progress, her worth. And she asked me, Lindsay, so what is the number 
how am I going to know what the number, like when I've reached that healthy number? And I said, you know, you don't really have to know. You don't need to look at the number whatsoever. So how can we measure? That's when we really reflected of how could we measure our health not using weight? And that's when we were able to reflect about, oh, my digestive system isn't upset anymore. You know, I haven't, I'm able to have foods that I couldn't eat before, like things like donuts or snacks and have them in a reasonable portion and not feel out of control around them. My emotions feel more stable. You know, my my blood sugar levels are stable. I haven't gotten sick in a really long time. That was really like an aha moment for her and really very rewarding. I'm so happy for her. That's awesome. Um, And it makes me think like we could all reflect. So in my work, I do need to weigh people because I have a lot of patients with, let's say, congestive heart failure and weight gain of fluid of water weight is one of the ways that we can see if the heart failure is advancing, for example, or if I weigh someone um, and then six months later, they've had a significant gain and I know that they have a thyroid disorder, then I should think, oh, I'll check the thyroid. Maybe that's the reason we've had this weight gain. So there are reasons to weigh someone, but in your opinion, are are those some of the only times that we should weigh people or can weighing patients and weighing yourself even be a good part of of your healing. I, how do you use that? Ooh, that's a great question. Um, so, you know, from a medical standpoint, I, I think the frequency in which that we monitor weight is not, not necessary. Um, and it really does externalize our idea of health and it measures our health in a really limited perspective. It is a data point and we can use it. Um, and there are, like you said, some, some clinical pieces that make that really necessary. Things like, you know, chronic kidney disease, um, edema, if you're going into surgery and they need to uh, provide you anesthesia, stuff like that, very important. Um, But oftentimes, if we over-focus on the weight, what the statistics show is that it can cause more harm um, emotionally and doesn't actually lead to long-term weight loss, but more often to weight cycling, which we know is not helpful for our metabolic well-being or our emotional well-being. So I do think that unless there is a medical necessity to do so, that we really can ditch the scale and start to connect our bodies in a different way of like noticing how we feel um, and getting back into that interoceptive awareness. And I think that anyone listening can totally relate to those feelings, right? Like, do you get a headache? Do you not sleep as well? Do you have GI upset? Like, I think a lot of people have experienced these things when eating or drinking certain items. And like, we all know what that feels like. And so then choosing choosing the right things in moderation and, and listening to your body in a whole different way instead of of just looking at that number, I think that's such a good message for everyone out there. Um, so Lindsay, you just sound like, you know, a gem. <laughs> how do you, <laughs> how do you take care of yourself? I, it sounds like you're just like super healthy already, oh. but, but how do you, I, I can't, I, I would imagine that 
when clients don't do well or when you see them struggle, that it is hard. And so how do you promote self-care in your own life? Totally. Um, I have over time, it's, you know, it's a work in progress. It's, it's never perfect. My idea, my uh, self-care regimen, but you know, honestly, a lot of it for me comes back to my interoceptive awareness and becoming like aware of how my body is reacting to the experience of maybe my work day. And so it might be something as simple as like grounding my feet into the floor and taking a couple few deep breaths in between sessions. Um, If we really did have um, a heavy conversation that was had, or I'm really worried about a client's well-being, um, taking those little pauses can be huge. As much as we're looking at the screens right now, as many of us might be telehealth providers, um, I try to take at least, and this is at the minimum, a 15-minute break from screen during my workday. So that might be getting outside. um, It might be washing my dishes or just stepping away and kind of getting a gauge of my surroundings, um, becoming more aware of my surroundings. Because if we spend our, you know, up in our headspace all day, um, with our clients on our computers at the end of the day, we can, it can kind of feel like, where were we? Were we just like in a time warp, you know? (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Yeah. You're not alone there. Oh man. Um, of course I use yoga and meditation. I've been, you know, my approaches for my own practice has become way more gentle. It used to be more fitness oriented, But what my nervous system has been needing during this pandemic is to slow down and be really kind. Um, And then creativity is a really great outlet. So I kind of know my self-care is struggling if I'm not feeling as creative or not feeling as drawn to do creative things. So I try to spend some time. I I actually like to draw. Um, And so drawing and journaling are a big part of my my self-care as well. Oh my gosh. I want to do all these self-care <laughs> things with you. You should, I mean, so let's say, let's say people are like, oh my God, Lindsay's amazing. How can I get some more Lindsay in my life? Um, how can they find you? Um, so good way to find me is I actually, I'm launching a private practice in November um, and I do have a new website that it's up and working. It's still there's still some tweaks, but it's always two words worthy dot com. Or else you can go to my name, Lindsay. My last name is Madura, M-I-D-U-R-A dot com. And those are good ways to connect with me. There's actually like a contact page where you can reach out, ask a question, just say hi. Um, and also I am fairly active on Instagram. Um, that's how we connected, and I'm so happy that we did. Mm-hmm. And that is that is the yogi dietitian. So the dot yogi dot dietitian. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here today, Lindsay. It was a treat. My pleasure. Thanks again for having me on. And listeners, you guys know what to do. If you're trying to get a hold of me, you can find me on Instagram, Facebook, or my website, Dose of Support. And you can also email me, hello at doseofsupport.com. If you are enjoying these conversations and enjoying these self-care tips, 
go ahead and leave us a rating or a review. Subscribe to the show. And hey, do me a favor this week and tell a friend about the show. Every episode is different and there is something for everyone. So until next time, I will be in your ears next week and I can't wait. So thank you. Every role in healthcare is important and these experiences matter. We'll be back next week with a brand new guest and a whole different story. Until then, make connections, you guys. Give each other a dose of support. Dose of Support is written, produced, and edited by me, Vanessa Casper, with exclusive music by Rafael Sequeira. Don't forget to rate the show, write a review, and leave feedback wherever you listen. I'm punching out until next week, where we try to find some self-care in healthcare once again.